0: Next time you are walking down East 60th on your way to Central Park, attending an event at the Harmony Club, or meeting a friend for lunch at Abra, I encourage you to look down at a plaque on the sidewalk outside of 14 East. 60th street i was reminded of the plaque the other night while i was en route to a meeting on jewish communal priorities in israel and around the globe in the wake of the horrific october 7th attacks by hamas attacks in which over 1200 of our brothers and sisters were murdered 240 still kept captive a topic to which we will return to soon enough The text of the plaque is in both Hebrew and English. In Hebrew, it reads, And then in English, this building sheltered the clandestine mission of the Haganah, Israel's pre-state, Israel's defense forces, which labored unceasingly for Israel's independence and survival. Sandwiched between the Hebrew dates. Or the Hebrew and English are the dates, 1945 to 1948. And to the right of the text is a symbol of the Haganah, a sword wrapped in an olive branch. You've passed it a million times. It's right there, adjacent to the Avra dining shed, a chapter of American Jewish history as understudied as it is significant, and as I will come to explain, altogether relevant in light of the present crisis our people face. The tale is an extraordinary one, best told in Leonard Slater's book, The Pledge. 1945 to 1948 were transformative years for the world, for America, and for American Jewry. The conclusion of World War II, the reverberations of the Holocaust and the absorption of the remnants of European Jewry into an already heterogeneous American Jewry constituted as it was by descendants of Eastern European Jews, German Jews of the Harmony Club variety, members of this congregation included, all of whom were already being transformed by way of a GI Bill-induced process of suburbanization. And if that wasn't enough, 1945 to 48 were also the years that the pre-Jewish community of pre-state Palestine, referred to in Hebrew as the Yishuv, were actively planning for the end of the British mandate and the hoped for establishment of a sovereign Jewish state. In Hebrew, Haganah means defense as in the defense wing of the Yishuv, a noble calling, except for the fact that they lack the small, but rather important detail of weapons. The story of 1945 to 1948 is a story of a race against time, how a group of American Jews coordinated through the offices of a young Teddy Kolek, the man who would go on to become Jerusalem's mayor, coordinated a tireless and illegal campaign to provide the arms to an army for a not yet born state. 14 East 60th Street was then a rundown hotel called Hotel 14. It was Colex office, the American headquarters for a network that spanned from Scarsdale to San Diego. I get chills thinking, of the planning meeting that was held on July 1st, 1945, before World War II had even ended, attended by David Ben-Gurion, 17 other prominent unnamed American Jews, businessmen, lawyers, the head of UJA, and even one rabbi. The stories are as colorful as they are plentiful. At the end of World War II, the War Asset Administration sent massive amounts of inoperable weaponry to the scrap heap, sold legally as junk. Jewish American scrap dealers were mobilized to determine how to make the inoperable scraps operable. At the age of just 22 years old, Eli Shalit was tasked with moving the arms from the States to Palestine. Shell companies were set up. Planes and ships registered under Panamanian names and titles. Kolek traveled the world to make alliances with anyone he could to help the cause, including corrupt dictators like General Anastasio Taco Somoza, setting up schemes whereby arms filled ships, ostensibly going to Nicaragua, were diverted to Palestine. Another plan that was hatched, this time with a poetic touch of justice, involved captured Nazi weapons that were purchased from a bankrupt communist regime with donated American Jewish money and then flown to Palestine from a military airfield in Soviet-controlled Czechoslovakia. The plan depended not just on statesmen and wealthy businessmen, but on countless anonymous everymen whose names have long been since forgotten. At the time, the ports, the freight docks of Newark and New Jersey were controlled by organized crime with members of the Jewish mafia, like the West Coast mob boss, Mickey Cohen, raising millions for the cause, or Bugsy Siegel of Flamingo fame, delivering cash-filled suitcases. Everyone was involved. And it wasn't just Jews, Irish Americans, as high up as Mayor William O'Dwyer or his plane as Plainco's cops were allies, sympathetic as they were, not just to to Zionism, not not to mention their ongoing resentment against the British. Even celebrities, Jewish and Jewish adjacent, were engaged in the effort. Most famously, an incident involving Frank Sinatra, who at his friend Teddy Kolek's behest, handed a paper bag full of cash at the Copa Cabana to the captain of a ship loaded with munitions. The stories are incredible. A Jewish Ocean's Eleven, but even better. The history that was made at 14 East 60th Street. Something to think about next time you're waiting for a table at Avra. And while I could go on, it's here that I need to pause. Pause to clarify why am I sharing these stories with you, what I am saying and what I am not saying. I am not saying in any way, shape, or form that anyone here or watching at home should be smuggling arms, misdirecting resources, or doing anything a lot of it or even a little bit illegal. The vast Overwhelming majority of efforts by American Jews on behalf of pre-state Israel happened inside, not outside the law, through little blue boxes, rallies, political advocacy, and millions of acts of chesed. Always, and especially at a time like ours, when the world seems to have been thrown off its moral axis, we are obligated to choose right over wrong, the rule of law over its violation. For me, the heroism of American Jewry's actions between 1945 and 1948 is not the lines that they crossed, but the lines that they held, that our people stayed unified in purpose, were mobilized into action, and did everything in their power from the east side to assist our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, traumatized as American Jews were by the Shoah, anxiety-ridden as they may have been at the threat facing pre-state Israel. They came together. They stepped up and they rose to the calling of the hour. Genteel German Jews, rough-edged refugees, religious and secular, socialites and socialists, rabbis and gangsters, young and old, rich and poor, celebrities and unknowns. It's not that they didn't have differences. Of course they did. It's just that they understood their obligations to each other and to world Jewry to far outweigh their differences. Unity, Jewish pride, mobilization, a sense of global Jewish peoplehood. That was their calling of the hour. That was their heroism. The war being fought right now is a war being fought on many fronts. First and foremost, we here stand United in support of the IDF in their efforts to secure Israel's safety, to free the hostages, and to free innocent Palestinians from the terrorist grip of Hamas. And the meeting I attended the other night, I heard also of other fronts of the war in Israel. In Israel, there are 43 communities that have been destroyed, over 220,000 Israelis displaced, living all over, temporary shelters in a lot, Tavaria, the Dead Sea. They are in need of everything from trauma relief to schools for their children to laundry soap. There are fruit on trees that need to be picked, a harvest that needs to be harvested, entire industries that have been brought to a halt due to the war and the calling up of reserves. There are immediate needs and there's a long game, the rebuilding plan for Israel and for Gaza. We need a day after plan, a strategy as to how to secure the future of a Jewish and democratic Israel. We have a role to play. Our labors on behalf of our brothers and sisters are needed more than ever. And just as there are short, medium, and long term fronts in Israel, there are multiple fronts to be fought around the world. An information war, what is being put out in print, online, media, social media, and otherwise. The fight to keep America's attention on the atrocities of October 7th, to keep the plight of the hostages at the center of attention, and to call out and respond to anti-Semitism in all of its forms. There's a fight to be fought on the universities, the safety of our students, the stance of the administrations, and the climate in the classroom. Now is the time to redouble our support for campus Hillels who are working to secure the physical and mental health of our students, those communal professionals working tirelessly to build Jewish pride and support our Jewish students on campus. And then, of course, there is the political front of this war. Right now, we need to make sure that the 535 members of Congress show up for israel we need total unity of purpose leveraging our proportionally small demography towards disproportional political effect some 15 billion dollars of aid on the line to israel two aircraft carriers in the region a wartime presidential visit we need to express our endless gratitude and backing towards those who support for Israel is there and we need to stand up to those not invested in a secure, democratic, Jewish state. This war has many fronts. I've named a few in Israel, in America, online, in the quad, in the classroom, short, medium, and long-term. You've shown up for rallies. You've oversold our solidarity mission. As a community, we have and continue to raise dollars at a pace befitting our congregation and yet I still ask you what is it that you are prepared to do years from now what will the plaque say about our generation will it say that we were so traumatized that we failed to mobilize will it say that we quibbled over internal differences making perfect the enemy of good that when Israel was on the line we refused to stand together will it say That we let our egos get in the way, we're duplicative in our efforts, insisting that the idea, the donation, the committee be credited to us. I hope, I hope to God that when we look back, when we tell our children and grandchildren about this time, the record will show that we believed in each other, that we didn't criticize each other, that we encouraged each other, and most of all, that we all stepped up from a toddler's art project. For an israeli soldier at tomorrow's mitzvah day to a teen taking the day off to go to the dc rally from the extra 10 minutes that you'll spend at a water cooler conversation with a colleague to the additional philanthropy you'll commit for which you're never going to get recognition from your fortitude of spirit in making clear to your elected officials that you you are engaged on behalf of israel to your investment in a long-term vision of Israeli-Palestinian coexistence. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment. It is a game of inches, and everyone needs to find their lane of activism. This week is Thanksgiving. It's a time to be grateful for what we have and to think of those who do not. Given the moment, I invite you to turn your Thanksgiving table into a Seder of sorts. Go around and ask four questions, my suggestions that will be mailed out to the community and put on the website in the days ahead. Number one ask, what does Israel mean to you? Give expression to your love and connection to Israel. Let your children and grandchildren, let each other know the place Israel holds in your heart so we can better understand why our hearts are presently so broken. Number two, who is not able to sit at a meal right now? Tell the story of a hostage. Consider the plight of a displaced Gazan. Leave a seat empty at the table or print out a picture and set it at a place setting. Number three, what can you do on behalf of Israel? On what front will you be on the fighting line? Go around the table and make a commitment of activism to Israel and the Jewish people in the presence of your family and friends. And number four, what is your long-term vision for Israel's future and the Israeli-Palestinian future? Model a conversation at your table capable of housing diverse views Disagree without being disagreeable, because if we can't share our hopes and fears with those that we know and love, there is very little chance that we'll be able to do so as a people. Most of all, and more important than any of the questions you ask around your Thanksgiving table, it's your actions that follow that matter. To live proudly as a member of the people of Israel, to live with an active connection with the state of Israel, to stand tall with the name Israel. Isn't that after all what our Torah reading is all about? How a heel holding child named Jacob, Yaakov, came into being, living his life, playing catch up, trying to find his place in the world until that fateful day when history called. He wrestled his demons to the ground and he was renamed Israel. That is our name. That is our calling. That is our destiny. Israel, Israel, Israel. Am al Chai. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, Check out pasyn.org See you in shul. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Hallelujah.